Okay, how is everybody? Yeah? Grateful to live in a free country. Grateful. So a little bit about me. I'm a single parent, um, although my children are all grown up now. I had six children. Um, I've now got 11 grandchildren and two great-grandchildren on the way. So, um, so I've been through the whole gamut of um, providing a living for my children. You know, I sold Avon, I took in ironing, you know, did the whole lot. Um, then I got a job um, and did Bible college. Um, then ended up dean of the Bible college. Um, did Bible college, became a lecturer, became dean, associate pastor. And then um, God told me to go into the workplace. So I went back into the workplace and became a general manager of an RTO with four campuses with staff of 80, which was interesting because not one of them was saved. So that was a whole, you know, after you've been closeted away in a Christian environment for a while and then you're out in the world, it's like, whoa. Um, and now I've started, uh, we've, had, we've got a church going and I do open for business bi-monthly Gold Coast and Perth which is teaching spiritual principles from the Bible about business success. And um, I just know that God, God loves business. He just loves business. And uh, he loves business people because you're at the forefront. You know, people, you, you are the ones who fund the kingdom. You are the ones that God has got a call on your life. You are creative, you're innovative. He gives you ideas. He's called you to business because that's your ministry. That's your vocation. That's what he's called you to. And it's so important for you to fulfill your destiny. It's so important for you to recognize that the world might put barriers on top of you. It might try to limit you. Um, you know, got big business companies coming in, trying to squeeze out the middleman or the little man, the, the, the small business owner. But the thing is, God's hand is on you for business. And when God's hand is on you for business, it's on you for success. It's on you for prosperity. It's on you to bring transformation into the communities that you're involved in because that's what God is into, is transformation. And if you've got healthy businesses, you've got a healthy community because there is no financial pressure on the families. There's employment, there's career paths, there's places for the teenagers and the young people to go. Things open up and that's why it is so important and when um, Adam and Eve were in the garden and then, um, you know, Cain killed Abel and Cain took off and he actually established business. But he established it from the wrong heart. So if you have a look in, in Genesis, you can see that Cain started. I'll show you if I can just remember the scripture. Genesis has to be early, doesn't it, with Cain? Um, maybe four or five but he talks about I've got a new Bible so all the pages stick together um, okay here it is Genesis chapter 4 it starts off in verse um, 17 Cain had relations with his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Then Cain founded a city, which he named Enoch after his son. Enoch had a son named Irad. Irad became the father of Mahujael and then, you know, Methuselah, down to Lamech. Then in verse 19, Lamech married two women. Um, the first named Adar, the second was Zillah. Adar gave birth to Jabal, who was first of those who raise livestock and live in tents. So there you have agriculture. He was the first for agriculture. 
Um, and then his brother's name was Jubal. He was the, the, the harp and the flute. You, there you have arts and entertainment. You have the creative side, the musical side, the expressive side. And then um, Zilla gave birth to a son named Tubal Cain and he became an expert in forging tools of bronze and iron. So there you have industry. And then um, he had a sister named Namah. So you've got all of these, these industries, these business things. The city came out of the wrong seed of Adam and Eve. Does that make sense? So God's heart is to redeem this right back from the very beginning. God wants to redeem this and God wants to release um, healthy businesses because healthy businesses fund um, the kingdom. They fund healthy enterprises. They change things. It's transformational. Business is transformational. You find a need for somebody, you fill it. That's transformation. That's the very heart of God. And so the, the spirit of creativity and innovation the spirit of excellence and the spirit of divine order, making things right, come into business. And that's the, the wisdom of God. You've got everything you need. It all is all given to you. And then God gifted you when you were born with, what, with the ta natural talents in order to be successful in business. His heart is with business. I can't, I can't tell you how much it is. You deal with people who never come into a church. Let me tell you a story and then we'll I'll get to the courts. Let me tell you a story about a guy called Michael Cardone, Cardone Industries in America. Has anyone heard of them? Um, he's, he has now passed away, but his son has taken over the business. It started back in the 1980s, I think, might have been a little bit before then. He was uh, 55 and he was in a family business, but it was with his brothers and they had all made a decision that none of their sons could take their positions when they retired to keep harmony in the family. And he wanted to leave a legacy to his son. So he's, and he felt God leading him, you know, to start his own business. And he's thinking, but I'm so successful where I am and it's a family business and things are prosperous and it's marvelous. And, but he just didn't have a piece. So he thought, okay, so, it meant he had to walk away from his retirement benefits and all of that. He had to leave everything behind. So he and his wife and his son started a business, um, which wasn't called Cardone Industries at the beginning. But what they did was they took worn out or used automotive parts and rebuilt them, reworked them so that they were as good as new, but not as dear as new. Mm. And uh, he started his, his business with a prayer that there would be a spirit of excellence that um, God would protect every person in every car who used any of their parts. And he dedicated it all to God. So at the age of 55, he and his wife and his son start this business in their basement. And, you know, it grows and they've, they've moved out into premises and then there's a fire and they lost everything. So they had to start again. But, within, but miracles happened in this time so that they didn't lose any customers. And they were still able to, to meet orders. It was just an incredible story to read. But the business kept growing. And um, so they started daily devotions with the staff. What they did was um, the five minutes, it's only five minutes, but at the beginning of every day, all the staff come together. And it's work time, so they all get paid for it. And they have a meeting that, you know, departmentally, uh, any issues, anything we need to know about, any concerns that the staff might have, and they talk about it. And then they finish with what they called wisdom, which is um, prayer and scripture. Those who are not saved don't have to stay for that part. They can leave. That's fine. It's not an issue. But they finish with <coughs> prayer and scripture. 
and um, it got it grew, and and the staff were being affected by the presence and the peace and the productivity, <coughs> and the fact that they were actually being listened to, um, and it was just a different place to work. And so what they did was um, he realised that there were things going on in the lives of his staff that they really needed help. You know, like there might be family fights or somebody might be sick or something. So he employed chaplains who would go about. So he ended up with about seven full-time chaplains. A lot of his staff, he had, he had a staff about 2,000, 1,500, 2,000 at one stage. It's, um, and a lot of his staff were refugees. There were Hispanics, there were Africans, and, and a lot of refugees. So the, the chaplains he employed was a Hispanic chaplain or an African chaplain to minister to those people so they understood their culture. And that and the, the, um, the refugees or the immigrants in the factory would say, we can't find a church because we go to church, but we don't fit, we're not, you know, we're not Western, we're, we're still African in the way we, so the chaplains actually started churches in the business and they would meet in the chapel hall and so there's all these, these churches starting. And then the churches with the, the staff members grew so big that they actually had to move the churches outside. And then Michael Cardone himself, God spoke to him and said, I want you to plant a church. So he planted a church which is now reaching over 10,000 people. And this came out of a business. Right? Came out of a business because this man had a heart for God. So it's recognizing that business is absolutely imperative to what God wants to do in a nation. And the effect that you can have on a community and the transformation that you can bring to the lives that you are involved with, whether they're clients or staff or uh, reps that come into your business or what, you know, the hand of God is on you for this. Challenges that in business, there's lots of challenges. So in the natural, you know, there's cash flow, getting the right staff, keeping the right staff, and getting rid of the wrong staff in a legal way. You know, there's all these kinds of challenges. There's competition, there's trying to find your niche, trying to find your, your, your correct branding, all of this kind of stuff. So there's all of that. But then there's spiritual things as well. You know, and because you're a kingdom business, it's almost like you're targeted spiritually. And sometimes it's really hard to breathe. And sometimes it's really hard to find the expansion and the, the, the resources or whatever it might be. It's like these spiritual battles. I've got the natural stuff. And that's where intercessors come in. We don't take your relationship with God. We don't take the place of your prayer life with God. But we lock our shields of faith with yours to give you the freedom to fulfill your assignment. That's what it's about, to free you up. So our shields of faith are locked. You still need to hear from God for yourself. You still need to walk with God. But we undergird you with prayer and, and release you to fulfill your assignment, your, your kingdom assignment that God's placed on you. So that's where intercession comes in. So our church prays for about 180 businesses. And, um, but so it's important. But we don't take your relationship with God away. You have to hear from God for yourself. We just want to clear the spiritual air around you so that you can hear from God and that you can move in the power and the freedom that he's got for you. So one of the challenges is that we can get caught up in the spiritual realm without knowing about it. It's almost like sometimes you get caged or imprisoned 
Who's felt like that at times? Like no matter what you do, you just can't move forward, right? And, and it's almost like there's this, I call it being caged. It's almost like no matter what I do, no matter how hard I try, I stand on the word, I pray, I've fasted, I, I do all these things, I've, I've gone through the business, sorted it all out, checked everything is right, but I still can't move forward. That's because in the spiritual realm, there is something that is standing against you with a legal empowerment that has not come from God that is stopping you from moving forward. And this is what the courts of heaven is all about. It is about releasing justice in the spirit realm so that you have it on earth. Is this is with me? Yeah. Okay. So let me start with a prayer. I love this prayer. This prayer is from Maria Woodworth Edda. Let me start with this prayer. Well, I've already started, but you know what I mean. And then we'll move on. Because it's really important that you understand the realm of justice in the kingdom. So Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we love you. And we thank you that we're saved. We thank you for the power of God upon our lives. We thank you that your hand is with us, that your favour surrounds us. But Father, we stand before you right now and we ask you to pour out your power from on high till the city of Melbourne is shaken and the country around it for miles around. Father, we pray that the Christian and sinner alike would fall under the power of God, that they would just fall under your power, that there would be diverse operations of the Holy Spirit released in this city. Let the display of the power of God God, continue to increase day after day, year after year in Melbourne. Let the power of the Lord, like the wind, sweep all over this city where, uh, where your word is ministered, up one street and down another, sweeping through places of business, factories, shops, hotels, pubs, nightclubs, arresting sinners of all classes. Let men, women and children be struck by the power of God in their homes, in their places of business, in the highways, on the schools, and let them be under the power. Father, we pray that they would have one wonderful visions and rise converted giving glory to you let their face shine like the angels let the fear of God fall over the city of Melbourne let the police say they've never seen such a change that they have nothing to do that they make no arrest let the power of God preserve Melbourne let the power of God hold the people still let a spirit of love rest over this city let there be no fighting no swearing on the streets let people move softly let there be a spirit of love and kindness among all people as if they feel Feel the very presence of God. Let the fear of God and the comfort of the Holy Spirit be experienced in the churches and in the meet Christian meeting places and Christian businesses in the city. Let all scoffers and mockers be stricken down. Let the fear of God fall on them all. Lord, do a work in a wonderful way in this city. Let all be brought into the fold of Christ. Let the venues not be able to hold the crowds. Let there be increase, 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 not just of salvation, but of surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And let the, let the manifest presence of God be released in this city, that all would feel the power of God in Jesus' name. We need the power of God back in the church and in kingdom business. The power of God to, to break through, to turn things around, to move things. Now Psalm 97 verse 2 says that the foundation of the throne of God is righteousness and justice. That they're the two pillars that hold up the throne of God, righteousness and justice. As Christian people in this nation, we are very, very good at knowing about righteousness. 
we kind of know who we are in Christ, we understand to turn the other cheek, we, we understand righteous to an, to an extent, but we've never really followed through with justice. And who has, who has been treated unjustly? Who has people in their businesses that don't pay their, you know, that, that owe money to you? Right? That happens a lot. Um, Satan will actually set companies up where you sign a contract to, do, to build a house or whatever. And the people that you signed the contract with, Satan set them up to fall so that your business is affected. The wiles and the strategies of the enemy are very clever in their outworking. So this is where we need the discernment of God in what we do to understand the leading of the Holy Spirit in business. But the justice of God is what will turn things around. It will turn things around. And we have not really learnt to release justice. Not even really thought that God was into it. We might have said, God, help me, I'm, I'm being attacked. But we haven't turned around and said, Lord, I want you to cut off the enemy. And remember, I'm not dealing with people. We're dealing with, with spirits. But cut off the enemy, Lord. Cut off the enemy. Because I stand in a covenant with you through Jesus Christ. So this is where we've got to learn who we are in Christ. Rise up in the authority that the sonship that, of that gives us and release justice. There is a minister in America who was told was in prayer and the Lord said to him I want your meetings on TV and he said oh Lord I'm really not you know interested I've, he had a bit to say about televangelists and you know I really don't want to go there Lord you know I don't want to be tarred with the same brush but the Lord really dealt with him and so he went to the local TV station to get his his thing happening and on the air and the girl said to him the, the 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 one in charge of putting programs on air she actually said there is no way that your program will ever make it to air in this city because it was Christian and he pointed his finger at her and he said you're fired direct from the throne room of God you are stopping the progress of the kingdom he didn't say that he simply said you're fired Two weeks later, she was. A week or so later, he saw her walking down the street. He had heard that she was fired because he was in process of negotiations to get his program on TV. And he saw her walking down the street, so he approached her and said, can I talk to you about what happened? Why it happened? And she got saved. So we're going to understand that we have an authority from God To represent his kingdom and him in a way that we have not stepped into in this nation he has given you that authority now that authority was given to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1:28. excuse me I've got a New Living Translation I used to use the New King James but I was becoming too familiar with it you know when you sort of read a scripture you think oh yeah I know that I was becoming a little bit familiar and uh, I got reprimanded and he said, get a new Bible and a different translation. So I had to repent of familiarity. So I'm still winning my way around this one, but I'm enjoying it. And it's slapping me around a bit, so which is good. <laughs> so Genesis 1:28, God blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, govern it. I think the other translations say subdue it. 
rain over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky and all animals that scurry along the ground. So be fruitful, have a fruitful life, be productive, have something to show for your life, multiply, fill the earth, populate it. Doesn't just mean have children, it means get people kingdom minded, right? And then he's, and he's given them authority. He's given them authority, govern. In Psalm 115, it says that the, earth, the heavens belong to God, but the earth he gave to the sons of men. So he wanted us to, to steward earth in a way that heaven is. That's why the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6.10, let you, your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the heart of God. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Deuteronomy, he said to the people, I want you to live days of heaven on earth. Who lives days of heaven on earth? I have sporadically, but nowhere near close enough, right? Every now and again, oh God, that was so heaven on earth. That was awesome. But it's nowhere not like a daily experience. But this is what he wants. Heaven on earth. So when you have a business, the best thing you can start praying for your business, whether you own it or work in it, Father, let the, let the kingdom of heaven manifest in this business. Because you're there to be a blessing. If you work there, you're there to bless it. You are to bring the blessing and the presence of God into the place you work for, the people who you employ. We'll talk about that this afternoon if I remember. <laughs> I open my mouth and I sort of go where the Holy Spirit takes me, so... So they had this authority. Adam and Eve had this authority. I want you to govern the earth. I want you to subdue it. I want you to bring its resources under the control of, of, of the kingdom or the Garden of Eden as it then was, right? So they had this. But then the fall came and then there was the flood. And in Genesis chapter 9, God confirms a covenant with Noah. And he says in verse 1, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Sounds exactly like Genesis 1.28, doesn't it? But there is no mention of ruling. There is no mention of governing. There is no mention of reigning over the animals. Instead, he, instead God says, uh, all, the animals, um, uh, all the animals will look on you with fear and terror. I've placed them in your power, but there is no authority. Do you know why? Because the God of this world had the authority. But then Jesus came and he restored back to us everything that was lost in the garden, which means authority. And that's what he said in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go, because the authority of heaven will back you. But the church used to flow in this authority. In the olden days, if you read about the old saints and, and the 1800s even, there was an authority and there was a power and there was a presence of God that was upon the people, but we've lost it. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to upset anybody. You know, we don't want to be caught up in anti-discrimination laws and all of this stuff. And so we, we've kind of been put in a box and we've been shaped by our culture instead of coming out of the box and shaping our culture with the kingdom. So it's, it's a recognition that God wants to bring upon the business people in particular because that's where it is. He wants to release an authority and a sonship in business that will cause the resources of the earth to be brought under the dominion of the kingdom of God because that's what it was destined for and ordained for from the beginning. Amen. Has anyone heard of Al Houghton? A couple of you? 
I love Al. He comes to Australia. He's been coming to Australia for years, and he's such a man of 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 love, but incredible authority, amazing authority. And um, he's written a book called Jesus and Justice, uh, which is kind of like whoa, and uh, and and other books. But Jesus and Justice is is an amazing book. In the book, Jesus and Justice, it starts off back in the 1800s with Mordecai Ham, who was the man who led Billy Graham to the Lord. And he's having a meeting in a Western town, and it's kind of like cowboy people on horses and stuff, because we're talking 1800s, because Billy Graham was quite old, right, when he recently passed away. So he's having a meeting in a small church in a Western town, cowboys and all that kind of stuff. And as they're in the meeting, the cowboys ride in and they steal the horses, the saddlebags and all of that, of the people that were in the, in the meeting, church meeting. So Mordecai Ham comes out and confronts them. And uh, one of them pulls a knife on him and he says, who do you think you are, you coward, to pull a knife on a man of God? You know, like, he's not backing down. And um, so he said to them, you will repent you will bow your knee to Jesus and you will return what you've stolen and you will pay the price. And they all kind of laughed at him, like, who does he think he are? We've got the guns, we've got the knives, you know, you're just, you're just a man of God kind of thing. And um, he said, I'll give you 24 hours to return everything or you'll die. Well, in 24 hours, that man had died. Which to my, when I'm reading the book, I'm thinking, God doesn't work like this. God doesn't work like this. But he had given the man opportunity to repent and the man had not. And you do not steal from God. Because we tend to forget who we are representing. Jesus was not always meek and mild. Remember, he made a whip and cleaned out the temple. You know, it's not always the way we kind of format it with church culture. So these robbers started dying and they realized, oh my gosh, we're, we're dealing with something bigger than us. So they're repenting and they're bringing stuff back. And as they repent, whatever they were dying of was lifted straight away. All they had to do was repent. And then um, Mordecai's having this final meeting because that was the deadline, you know, that this time everything had to be restored or... And there was one bag missing. And he said, there is still one saddlebag missing. And a voice from the back of the church yells out, it's on its way. <laughs> But that's the power of God. And this is what we've lost. Now, we don't do it in our own strength. We don't do it because we think you have to do it under the direction and the leading of the Holy Spirit. You have to do it under the Lordship of Jesus. And that's why, you know, we know Jesus as Savior, but sometimes we don't really recognize how to walk with Jesus as our Lord. You know, because every now and again, Suzette's way sort of rears up and looks a lot more enticing than God's way. You know what I mean? So, you know, I've got to continually put down the flesh and come back to lordship because I know I'm saved. But I need to serve him as Lord. And it says in the word that we are to forsake everything to be his disciple. Which means I have to forsake what I think, what my rights are, everything in order to serve my Jesus. And in, in, to be successful in business, we have to come to that place. The business is not yours, it is his. It is his. And you steward it for him.
He is the senior partner. He is the CEO, the CFO, the COO and everything else. He's it. But there's this power and authority that business people are yet to walk in and to understand that it's not about fivefold ministry. It's not about who stands at the front of the church. It's not about the prophet, the apostle or anything else. They have their place. But you are the ones who are also ministers of God and God has called you to the marketplace and that's where you serve him. And as you rise up in the authority that is in Jesus Christ and you know who you are in Christ and you recognize the leading of the Holy Spirit, then you can bring that authority and release it through what you do. Al Houghton was called by a pastor in the States, um, I think it was just last year. And he said, we have a slight problem where in Texas there's lots of oil. He said, but we're right on the county line and on one side of the county where I'm pastor, we have a lot of Christian good kingdom people, right? And they want to fund the kingdom, but their oil wells are completely dry. There's nothing. On the other side of the county line, there are oil wells, which are owned by four families and these families into all sorts of, of evil stuff, supporting abortion clinics and you know just evil stuff and he said we believe that the oil was commissioned at before the beginning of time to serve God's kingdom but here it is funding the enemies so we want you to come and we want you to release justice so Al went and prayed about it he said okay yeah I'll come so he came and he straddled the county line and put his hands on the sign and he commanded the oil that was ordained by God to fund the kingdom to shift. Shift. You were ordained to fund the kingdom of God. Shift. So he prayed along that line. A month later, or six weeks later, the pastor rang him back and said, you won't believe this. <laughs> he said the four families on the other side that were funding the evil had sold their, their um, oil wells to the Chinese. They are completely dry, not a drop. He said, whereas the ones on, on my side that are kingdom minded, he said they have more oil now than, than and I forget what place he named. They're, they are just, it's just, this is, you know, recognizing the authority and the justice of God. You know, to take authority over the funding of evil. And this is where kingdom business is so important. Now, we, like I said, we don't fully understand, um, here it is, we don't fully understand justice. But God is bringing us into a season where we do need to understand it. That's why the courts of heaven are important. Um, but the courts of heaven have their place, but it's not the be all and it's not the end all. It's just, I think intercessors have been doing it for years. They just didn't have the vocabulary for it or the, you know, that kind of thing. What is more important, I think, than courts of heaven, although don't tell Robert Henderson this, is that I think we need to know how to pray judicially because then you don't have to deal with the courts. In the natural, who wants to go to court? Yeah, you don't. You do everything you can to get out of it. You want to make a settlement outside of court, right? So I believe if we learn to pray judicially, then you don't have to go to courts. Going to court is for only for those areas in your life where... Um, you just cannot get a breakthrough. We've all got those areas, right? 
Um, but it's those areas where, you know, God, I've fasted, I've prayed, I've sought your face, I've cried, I've begged, I've pleaded, I've done everything I know to do, and I cannot get a breakthrough. That is because there is something in the spirit realm legally holding you. There are spiritual jurisdictions that we don't yet fully understand. So if the enemy has legal access to hold us, then if we're just praying, God, deliver us, God, give me the breakthrough, you are not dealing with the issue. Um, one of my sons, I was praying for him one day, and I think I talked about this last year, but I was praying for him. And I just said, my gosh, I'm before a judge. And this is before I knew about the courts of heaven. So it would have been a few years back. It started me on my journey to understand. And I'm praying for him. And I'm like, I'm before a judge. But it was a spiritual thing. And I'm praying and I'm just pleading, you know, for mercy, pleading for mercy. And, um, and then everything was fine. It was like, you know, case dismissed kind of thing. And I'm thinking, this is really weird. But I rang my son. I said, I don't know what you're into. I don't know what you're up to. And maybe better, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm just telling you that if you ever come before a judge, it's okay. Well, three months later, he was arrested, spent the weekend in the watch house and was up before the court on Monday. And so we're all the family sitting there, you know. And he said, I looked at my brothers and sisters and he thought, I'm done. And he said, I saw your face and I remembered what you said. And I knew I'd be okay. And it wasn't a big thing, you know, it was just stupid kid stuff. <laughs> but the judge said, oh, he spent the weekend in the watch house He's done enough, let him go, no record. So I prayed it through, but it was recognizing that there was a legal thing. So in Luke um, chapter 20, oh, I don't know, Luke 22, I think it is. See, in my old Bible, it's all marked. Um, yeah, verse 31, where Jesus comes to Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Now that word asked in the um, Greek actually means he has demanded you for trial. He's coming against you. He, is, he has commanded a trial against you. But I have prayed... I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you've repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. So the answer to that accusation in the court realm was prayer. Does that make sense? So in the book of Luke, we follow through and Jesus is talking about prayer in Luke 11. You know, you've got the Our Father. Uh, and that's the prayer that come to the presence of God. That's ours. That's the Father. So if there's an issue, if there's a problem, I come to the Father. I go to the throne of grace. Oh, help, you know, help. I've done it again. I've made a mess. I need help. Help. You go to the Father. In, a, in Luke 11, around about verse, I think it's around about verse 8, it's where, you know, there's a friend who knocks on the door. I've got a friend coming and I need bread. That's intercession. So I've got a friend who's coming. I've got a friend in need. So Jesus, as my friend, I'm, I'm connecting you with the friend I'm praying for and I ask that you meet that need. That's intercession. Paga, to bring together, to make a meeting. But in Luke chapter 18, you've got the, the story. And again, this is prayer. So you follow the theme of prayer through in the book of Luke. 
And in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Always pray, never give up. But how many of us have actually given up because we haven't seen the results in a certain area? I know I have. There's certain areas where I think, oh, it doesn't matter what I've prayed, I can't seem to get the breakthrough. Oh, well, God, you know. So there was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. But a widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice with my adversary. Give me justice. Now, she never once spoke to the adversary in this. She spoke to the judge and she said, give me justice. Now, he's an unjust judge. But because, you know, he didn't want her to wear, wear him out with the constant coming and everything, he gave her justice. God is not unjust. So how much more will he give us justice? But quite often what we don't ask for is justice. We've been taught, turn the other cheek, turn the other cheek, turn the other cheek, lay down, let him walk over you. It's okay. God's got it in hand. God will look after it. But God has given you the authority on this earth. And as long as you hear the leading of the Holy Spirit and you follow the truth of his word and the leading of the spirit, then you can release that authority knowing that the justice of God is true, that it's righteous, that it's holy, that it's merciful. And you're not after revenge, but you want justice. And you're not necessarily even wanting it from the person, although sometimes that would be really good. But recognizing that everything that happens in life starts in the spirit realm. So you want justice in the spirit realm so that it can be released in your circumstance. Because we don't come against flesh and blood, right? We come against principalities and powers. Is everyone still with me? Is this making sense? So what we've got to start learning to do is, hey, God, I want justice. I was overlooked for this promotion, but I know that I'm good for the job. I know that I can do it. I, I, you know, whatever it might be, wherever you feel there is an injustice, God, I want justice. All because I'm a Christian, I'm overlooked, I'm scorned, I'm mocked. Persecution comes for the word's sake. We'll deal with that. But there are times when I want justice. I want justice in my business affairs. If, there are, if I've been ripped off, if I've, people have, have done the wrong thing, I want justice. But we've got to be squeaky clean when we pray that prayer, yeah. right? You cannot pray, God, give me justice, mm -hmm. if you are unjust in any of your dealings or if you're taking some money out of the till and slipping it in your pocket before you go home or whatever it might be. You've got to be squeaky clean and living as righteous as you know how to live. Because you don't want to, you want it, as Al Houghton says, you've got to be able to stand in the fire that you call down. So if you're, you know, calling down justice, you need to be able to stand in the fire that that will bring. Which means that we have to be righteous, holy, squeaky clean, honest, transparent. And you know, if you've got a problem with somebody, God... One of my sons, a single parent bringing up six kids or one child is now with the Lord. But money was not always there, you know what I mean? And one of my sons, my oldest boy, people say he's a lot like me, depends on the story. <laughs> <laughs> but he used to get, he would, as a teenager, he would get so wild because he could see us living 
here and his friends were living here. You know, like if you've got a two-parent income, it's a lot easier than a one-income one kind of a thing in our society. And being a single parent, not having any child support, all of that kind of stuff, it was hard. So, and, and he would read the promises of God. And he would say, but God, you said, and we're living. And he would get really angry at God. And he said, what kind of God are you that would do this? You said, but I'm living here. What's, that's not right. What are you doing? And he would get so angry. And I would be so religious. It's like, oh, my God, you know, like, oh, don't do that to God. You know, don't do that to God. Because I was religious. And then God said to me, I'd rather have his honesty than your deception. Well, okay. Okay. So I learned to be very transparent with God because, hey, he knows what I'm thinking anyway. So it's, it's really easy to come before God and say, you know what, I really, really want justice. But I have a feeling that the justice is motivated by um, probably an impure motive. So we can just put that on hold till we get me sorted out and make sure that my heart is pure. And then I, I, I'm, I'm right with you before we do anything about this situation. We have a, a three-day rule that we're implementing in our church. If something happens in your family or, or something like that, give it three days. Work it through. You know, work it through. Give it three days. Don't make a decision. Took Jesus three days to rise from the dead. <laughs> you know, just give it three days. Give it time. Sort through the emotions. Work out what's going on on the inside before you step out. It just makes a bit of sense. And we've got several people in our church that, you know, one's saved and the other partner is not, or they're not living together, but you know what I mean. The other one is not saved. And so they say, well, I, I want to go to the church prayer meeting or I want to go to the, the camp that they're having or whatever, but the, the, their husband or their wife is not saved. And so they, they actually say, um, I'm asking for a three-day Thing and they, they've talked about it so they know what it means. I'm invoking the three-day rule. This is what I want to do. So for three days, you have the right to ask me anything you want to ask um, and, and I will not get upset. Let's just talk about it for three days and then you can tell me whether you're in agreement with me to go or I don't want to go, whatever, and whatever we decide at the end of three days is fine. But that way, everybody's got a chance to just stay in peace and work it out. So sometimes we need to implement those kinds of things because I'm a little bit fiery and I'm a little bit of an Irish background so I tend to like, you know, step in and step up before it's wise. So something like that is really good for me. So it's just recognising that I, I want justice but I need to be pure with him before I start. Yeah? Just some of the prayers. You want to know how to pray judicially? David. David knew how to pray. So I just, just let me, um, I just pulled out some, some prayers, some Psalms. Psalm 7. And remember, we're not dealing with flesh and blood, although when you read some of David's Psalms, it sounds like it. But we are dealing with principalities and powers. I want, I want, get it right in the spirit realm so I'm free to live it out in the natural so in Psalm 7 David is actually it's very judicial and David is first of all getting attention then in verse 6 he's stating his case 
and then he's, he's just waiting for God to, to, to work. So he starts off with, I come to you for protection, Lord God. Save me from my persecutors. Rescue me. If you don't, they're going to maul me like a lion. Tear me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Lord, if I've done wrong or I'm guilty of injustice, if I betrayed a friend or plundered my enemy without a cause, then, you know, let them capture me. Let them do what they think. He's saying, I am righteous before you. I am righteous before you. But then in verse 6, arise, O Lord, in anger. Stand up against the fury of my enemies. How good would that be? Stand up against the fury of my enemies. Wake up, God, and bring justice. And you can pray that because you are in covenant with him. When we came into covenant with God through Jesus Christ, God said, everything I have belongs to you, but everything you have belongs to me. We have a covenant. So we can pray these prayers because of covenant. Vindicate me, God. Clear my name. Sort this out. Bring me justice. Change this so that your righteousness rules on the earth. Because we want righteousness and justice to come together. Because as, as a general being with righteousness, it's like you're in a canoe with one paddle. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And we're going around in circles. But when you've got righteousness and justice and you row it like that, you make progress. So we need the both. We need the both. We had um, a politician who wanted to bring some evil stuff into Queensland. Evil stuff. So a few of us got together and everybody, not just us, but everybody was praying. But this is what we prayed. God, we, we stand in the covenant of the sure mercies of David. We stand in a covenant with you through Jesus. And we're praying for this man. And we want him to have an encounter with you, which will transform him, change his life, make him fall to his knees at the feet of Jesus. We ask for his salvation. We ask for it, Lord. But if he will never bow his knees to Jesus, and if he persists in releasing evil into our state, position him in a place of ineffectiveness and inefficiency and no influence. And guess where he is? Yes. No influence. So that's the way you start to pray with justice because in the marketplace, God has called you to steward the marketplace. You're the gatekeepers of the city. So why should there be, you know, like adult sex shops? And why should there be? Well, you are the gatekeepers. So, you know, you're the ones who say, yes, God, no, God. So we pray first and foremost for salvation and for redemption. Because every, God, it's got the heart of God that none should perish. But he also knows whether or not they will ever bow their knee. You know, if you feel uncomfortable praying that way judicially, you can always say, God, I bless them only with your will, your plan and your purpose. That'll sort it out as well. So, you know, but the thing is, you are the gatekeepers. You are the ones who are shepherding the city, stewarding the city. The, the churches should be doing it, but you've got the marketplace. That's your arena. And so, you know, do you actually pray for the other businesses in your, your building block or in your, in your... Do you actually pray for them? I had a, 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 
and I think I mentioned this last year, Elizabeth, who facilitates the business prayer department for me, we've been prayer partners for a bit over 30 years. She is dynamic as a prayer. And um, when are we breaking? Yes, I start talking and it's like... <laughs> so we've been prayer partners for about 30 years. And uh, her and her husband had a coffee shop in a shopping centre. And um, she would actually chip the teenagers if they swore it, you know, they were ordering something. And uh, she would say, don't, don't swear at me. And she'd just say it nicely. She's like a grandma kind of stuff, so she could get away with it. And the guy said, I'm not swearing. And she said, yes, you are. She said, that kind of language is swearing. So this teenage sort of got a bit stroppy. Then he walked away, came back later and he says, you know what? I apologise. He said, I didn't realise. It's just the way I speak. So she's baptised babies or christened babies over the, the counter. Uh, it's, it's not in an actual shop. It's in all those coffee shops that are kind of in the middle of, a, of an arcade in a shopping centre. So um, they would have people coming up and saying, would you hold a table for me at lunchtime, please? Because it's just so peaceful here. So they've prayed for people. People got healed in their coffee shop. Babies were christened in their, in their, in their coffee shop. Um, people were prayed over. People got words of knowledge. They had trouble with teenagers who just, you know, gangs going through. So she decided, I've had enough of this. You, you don't want to get Elizabeth to say, to get to the stage where I've had enough of this. So she went, decided to go to work a little bit early and she walked the whole of the, um, what do you call it, the aisle. So she walked the whole of that and she said, I claim this for the kingdom of God. There will be no lawlessness here. I bind the spirit of lawlessness. I release lawfulness and respect. And you know, the whole atmosphere changed. And those teenage kids never came back to that area. She changed the whole atmosphere by prayer, by releasing <coughs> justice. This is not God's will. What is God's will on earth as it is in heaven? This is not it. So I'm having God's will on earth as it is in heaven. When they actually sold the coffee shop and left, the other shop owners in the area cried because they realized that they had brought something that they didn't have themselves. How similar is what you're saying to some cases I've read about where um, a Christian, and one's Derek Prince, he cursed uh, a situation of Eden and it subsequently uh, folded. Mm. Um, cursing, I've read in the Word a couple of times where it's kind of acceptable. Is there a similarity there between releasing like a godly curse on something that's evil? Um, it it's, it's kind of along the same vein. Um, it, you just don't use the word curse. It's like when you pray for healing for somebody with cancer, you curse the cancer cells. So you don't curse the people, but you can curse that evil situation or you can command the finances that are funding evil to be dried up or it's a similar kind of thing, but you never curse people. Just the situation, the that kind of thing. Does that make sense? Remember, God loves people. God loves people. Is that another question? Good question. <laughs> Any other questions? 
Is this making sense to you? This is so exciting when you start to realize who you are in Christ, what he's given you, the authority that is in his name, what's been restored back to you because of Jesus. You know, it changes the way you do business. <coughs> you can walk into your shop if it's, and you can lay hands on your products. I command you to sell in Jesus' name. <laughs> lay hands on your, on your um, calendar. I command you to fill with divine appointments. You know, I command my calendar to block out anything that is not of God. I will not have a meeting with anything that is not ordained with God. I command the blessing of God into my business. I command a release of, of resources. I command heaven on earth to be in my business. I command that every person that comes in, God, let them be saved. Father, I pray for a spirit of salvation and redemption to be at work on every person I, co I connect with at work. Father God, do this for your glory. Let me do business for your glory. Mm. So the, the widow got mm. justice because she kept on banging, banging, yeah. bang, bang, bang. However, um, do we need to go and keep on commanding and keep on pushing? So, like, Good question. And if you can work it out from the other <laughs> If you go into the courts of heaven and you get the verdict released, you don't have to keep on decreeing. So in your instance, what you were talking about, you're commanding blessing over your calendar and mm. all that sort of stuff. You were saying go into the courts of heaven and then it changes that. Uh, no, that's a different thing. Okay. Um, so you've got a situation that you cannot get a breakthrough in? Kids. kids. <laughs> that was the next question I was going to say, like, your kids are all the Yes, they are. One, not quite the way I think he should, but then again, you know, who am I to say the way he should be walking? But they're all, and all my grandchildren are with the Lord as well. But it wasn't always like that. You know, at times you despair um, of, of them ever coming. But I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Um, it's the keeping on praying. It's the prayer that, yeah. Yeah, we give up. And sometimes we don't pray with faith. Because we're tired, battle-weary, worn out. God, I've prayed for this so many times and I can't see any change. And sometimes it looks like it's getting worse. That's when you need to go to the courts of heaven. So I'll talk this afternoon about how to go into the courts of heaven. And uh, Father, we just pray right now that there would be a refreshing and there would be a fresh faith that's released. Father, a fresh vision of the children. Fresh hope would rise up. The Lord, in your wisdom, you would release everything that's required. But we speak right now a restraining order would be placed around this family that we put a holding order against the work of the enemy in Jesus name and we release we release heaven on earth into this family so we place a restraining order against Satan but we release heaven on earth father arrest the children arrest them by your spirit and by your angels. Arrest them in Jesus' name. When it comes to prayer, my prayers are answered when I'm in faith. When I'm tired, half-hearted, bit fed up, not always answered. 
He answers faith. If he answered desperation, there would be no starving people anywhere. He answers faith. So sometimes I will take the time to talk to the Father about the situation before I pray. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm seeing. This is, this is what's going on. But I need you to tell me how you see it. I need you to give me your vision. Because if I see things from where I am in the natural, instead of seated with Christ in heavenly places, seeing it from God's perspective, I'm not in agreement with heaven. So sometimes I will wait before I pray. Yongi Cho also waited until he saw himself with it. And Mark 11:24 says, you know, when you pray, believe you have received and then you will, future tense, get it. So we are to believe we receive when we pray, but when it's children or when it's business or when it's finances and it seems to be ongoing and there doesn't seem to be God doing anything, we need to stop and we need to take a step back. So, okay, God, I need the strategy of heaven for this because the way I'm praying is not effective. I know you answer prayer. And I know that you want my kids turned around or my business turned around or the finances released or whatever it might be. I know you want that, but it's not happening. So I need to sit with you and I need to ask you, what should I do and how should I pray and what is required? Does that make sense? So the courts of heaven, and we will talk about that after coffee, they are for those kinds of situations where no matter what you do, the answer is just not forthcoming. And that is because the enemy has a legal access point into the situation. So it's a bit like a friend of mine. If we have an open door to the enemy, a friend of mine went away for four days but left the garage door open, right? Oh, my gosh, drove. Oh, my gosh, the garage door's open. Nothing had been, so they realised they hadn't closed it because nothing had been stolen, nothing had been moved. It was just, but... The birds had got in and there was poop everywhere. So if we leave doors open in our lives, poop everywhere. <laughs> Bit crude, but you know what I'm saying? So we've got to make sure we close the doors. And sometimes, you know, the doors that are open are not the doors that I've opened. Right? So we get a lot of people into prayer. I have a team and we pray for a lot of business people. We pray for a lot of families that have just come to the end of over a business that's about to close, lost everything. It would be easier if they came to us a bit before <laughs> the 11th hour, but you know. And we've seen amazing testimonies and amazing reversals. Some haven't worked, but the majority do. But what we've found is that it's not necessarily the person in front of us. It is a pattern in the family or a pattern in the business. So um, there are three types of sin, and this is just a basic thing. If you turn to Psalm 32, David talks about them. You'll often find the three of them mentioned together. Psalm 32, verse 1, he says, Oh, what joy for those whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is out of sight, and what joy for those whose iniquity has been cleared. 
So we've got sin, transgression and iniquity. So sin is me. And that's when, oh, you know, like, you know, when you give somebody a piece of your mind when you really shouldn't have opened your mouth. Oh, God, I didn't mean to do that. I'm so sorry. Ah, oh, man, I missed it there, Lord. I'm sorry. Sin. But it also means actually that there is, um, it's a crime and there is a punishment that goes with that in the Hebrew. But that's why, you know, praise God for Jesus and the cross. Because the courts of heaven do not take, it, the courts of heaven actually just enforce the finished work of Jesus. Right? It's all about the finished work of the cross, the blood of the lamb. It's all about that. So the sin is where, oh, God, I'm sorry. I didn't, didn't mean to. The transgression is where I've thought about something. Oh, look, I know I shouldn't do it. But I'm just going to do it anyway. Well, you deliberately cross the line. That's a transgression. A sin is like, we just miss it. You know, you miss the mark. But a transgression is where you cross the line. And it actually means, the transgression actually means it is a rebellion because you know you're doing the wrong thing. So it's rebellion and sin and rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So this transgression actually releases kind of like a witchcraft into your circumstances. It also means you've broken away from authority. And then you've got the uh, iniquity. And iniquity is something that is generational. And it's... it's um, look, my, my grandfather was an amazing drinker. Amazing. His father was before him. So what happens is, say that my great-great, whoever it might have been, enjoyed a drink and then enjoyed a drink and then really enjoyed the drink. But it, it was no longer a sin and it was no longer a transgression. It had become an iniquity which actually transforms the character. Does that make sense? It actually changes something on the inside of people. A transgression is like, oh, I know I shouldn't do it, but I'm doing it. But if you keep doing it, it becomes an iniquity, which is actually changing the character. It means something that is perverted or twisted. And that's what an iniquity is, and that's quite often generational. So when we sit with people, we say, what are the patterns in your life? Can you see anything in your life that is similar to what was going on in your parents' or your grandparents or your family? Like, is there a lot of divorces? Is there like a lot of sicknesses or alcoholism? Or can you see a pattern? And, um, so, and then they'll sit there and, and, we'll, and we'll ask them certain questions and patterns start to come up. And we say to them, can you see this? That, you know, this, this parent died at a young age and, and that grandparent died at a young age. So there is premature death in your family which means there's a curse at work so there are about 12 main areas of curses uh, at work and we know that Proverbs says that a curse without a cause shall not alight so that means if you flip it that if there is a cause the curse can alight so we know that we're forgiven and cleansed by Jesus but say you people have been in Freemasonry that releases so much junk in a person's life down through the generations because that is a covenant that is made with a demonic God for eternity. 
and that affects all ongoing generations. Does that make sense? So sometimes there's stuff like that in our family that we didn't really know about, but we're suffering the effects of. Or maybe we were fine until we got saved. And then all of a sudden it's like, all hell broke loose. And that's because Satan was happy as long as you were in his camp. He's an expert record keeper. Not much good at anything else, but he's an expert record keeper. And so he says, oh my goodness, they've got saved. Oh, oh let's just go through family records. Ah, Freemasonry or, ah, you know, child sacrifice, Druidism, whatever it might be. Covenant made within a demonic God. We can pull that hook in them right now and bring, bring trauma to their lives. Does this make sense? Mm -hmm. So it's recognizing that the sin is me, transgression is me, but the iniquity is something that has shaped my family's DNA. It's like a, a, a sickness or a disease. You know, some diseases are hereditary. My, my grandmother um, has, uh, was, went blind middle age. Her aunt, her, her sister went blind middle age. It's a, it's a hereditary disease in the females of my family. My children, I, we will not be having it in Jesus' name. That is cut off. I did not, though, recognize that I should have prayed when I prayed it. I didn't pray it for my cousins. They have it. Didn't think about that. I was just me and mine, you know. Um, so there's this hereditary disease that comes down through the females in my family, which is cut off in Jesus' name. But so iniquity works the same way. Who's heard the saying that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree? That that iniquitous, whatever it might be, um, just carries down through the generations. But just as there are generational bad stuff, it's generational blessings. Yeah. Right, so we can, we can say, Father God, I just pray for generational blessings that I need for this season right now that they would be released in Jesus' name. Release the generational blessings. Any prayers that my ancestors have prayed, Lord, that, that, are, 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 that identify with where I am right now. Father, would you answer them and release them and pour them into my life and family in Jesus' name. So we've got to learn to start to pray a bit differently and a bit more strategically. Yeah right we've got to be strategic because the enemy is strategic right i mean that's why the the lgbtq alphabet group because it keeps expanding you know but they had an uh, they had a manifesto to change nations around the world and they actually started their strategy 20 30 years ago and they got their, their kids trained up and they got them positioned at university and got them positioned so that they could bring the social reform that they want to bring into the nations. They were very clever. The church has been scattered and we're still bickering about with each other instead of coming together around Jesus. And we haven't had a manifesto for social reform or anything. Right, and so we are we are reaping the the results of that. So, the Satan is a strategist. That's why it says, be you know, you need to be, know the wiles of the enemy. So it's a really good time. You know, you pull time aside with God and say, Father, would you please reveal to me by the Spirit of Truth what wiles the enemy is using against me, or what is he planning against me, my family, my business, my ministry in the upcoming months? How can I position myself so that I bypass these wiles and continue to walk in victory? Yes. Right? But Jesus is our counsellor. 
and the net translation of the Bible calls him the master strategist. Wonderful counsellor, master strategist. So, you know, we need to spend time with Jesus and say, what is the strategy for this? What strategy? Do I need to go to the courts? Do I need to pray judicially? Do I need uh, wisdom? What, what is your strategy for this situation? What we have done in the past, we've just barged in and prayed. You know, you've got it all in the name of Jesus. You can bind and loose. We've been taught, you know, all, all of these things. But we have not really been taught to sit with him. And so this, this is the situation. I need to know how you see it. But I need to know your strategy. What's your will and your way? And let me pray effectively. In alignment with heaven. That I would be in alignment with heaven bringing heaven to earth. Coffee time.